Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Americans are doing a lot more online shopping these days, boosted by a pandemic that made it less safe to shop indoors. And thanks to generous return policies, we're also sending back more of the stuff we don't like. Many of us are even buying with the intent to return, meaning we're getting multiple sizes or colors of things to try out, then send back what doesn't work for us. But if you think your returns are being restocked and resold, The Atlantic's Amanda Mall says, think again. More likely your returns are entering a nasty logistics chain that ends with the items in a landfill or incinerator. A rebroadcast of our August conversation about the impact of those returned items. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The pandemic boom in online shopping has also led to a boom in returns. Maybe you Goldilocks your shoes, buying a pair in three sizes and sending back the too small and too big pairs. Maybe that cocktail dress looked a lot better in the photo, or that coffee grinder didn't work after you plugged it in. U.S. retailers took back more than $200 billion worth of merchandise sold online last year. And if you think all those products went right back into recirculation or got repaired and resold... It's probably time for a reality check. Amanda Mull of The Atlantic writes, We can dispense now with a common myth of modern shopping. The stuff you return probably isn't restocked and sent back out to another hopeful owner. Okay, so then what happens to it? Atlantic staff writer Amanda Mull joins me now. Welcome to Forum. Thank you so much for having me. Really glad to have you. So, so when we say Americans are buying more online, how much more? What are the estimates out there? The jump is really huge, um, and it has happened uh, almost entirely in the past few years. In 2019, uh, about 16% of overall uh, retail purchases in the United States were done online. Uh, In 2022, three years later, that number had jumped all the way up to more than 26%. So in 20 years, we got to 16%, and then in three years, we added another 10% on top of that. Um, So the the explosion is really real, and it is significant. And... You've written about how this has also meant online returns boomed and explained why buying online is particularly good at stoking returns, essentially. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, A significant portion of things that are bought online are going to be returned. Um, Listeners will be able to reason out some of why for themselves, uh, because, you know, if you're buying a couch, if you're buying clothes, if you're buying shoes, anything that's high touch and highly taste dependent, um, there's a decent chance that when you actually get that in your hands or into your home, you're going to decide you don't like it. You're going to decide it doesn't fit. You're going to decide that you'd rather have something else. Or maybe you bought several things to try on um, and uh, or to evaluate color 
dollars in person because you can't trust them on your computer screen or on your phone screen and then uh, planned already to send a lot of them back. Um, This is just a natural process that happens uh, because of the sort of breadth of goods that are available for sale online um, and how popular shopping for some things like clothes specifically has become online. And, um, And online retailers have largely for the past, you know, 25 years stoked this by uh, crafting returns policies that make the online experience more similar as far as um, downsides and disadvantages to buying in store. So free returns, free shipping, free um, all of that for months instead of 30 days. Um, And when you give people all of those incentives to perform particular behaviors, which is to overshop and then send a bunch of stuff back, that's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, that is so true. And you're so right that listeners can probably reason this out for themselves. So listeners, tell us, have you returned something recently? Are you returning things more often than you used to? Why? Is it for some of the reasons that Amanda is talking about? You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866 733 Six seven eight six. Okay, so then Amanda, what is happening to the things that we return? Well, there's a whole range of outcomes. I think that a lot, like I, like I said in the piece and what you quoted, is that a lot of people hope that if they, you know, they get their returns out, they send their stuff back, it's in good condition, it's in the original packaging, that it will find another use, another home, another owner that will appreciate it um, in ways that the original buyer cannot. Um, and Occasionally that happens. Sometimes that happens. But that is highly, highly product and retailer dependent. Um, What happens to a lot of the rest of the stuff? And I think, you know, there there are varying statistics about this and it's hard to figure out what is reliable. But for a lot of stuff, and especially in particular categories, that stuff is going to be, um, quote unquote, recycled, which in a lot of senses, that means uh, trashed. Um, Some of it's going to be resold to discount retailers or wholesalers. Um, Some of it's going to be um, incinerated. Uh, It just depends. And it's highly category dependent. If you buy any kind of electronic that you need to log into and you take that out of the packaging and um, turn it on, then that is probably going to be dismantled for parts at best and probably junked at worst. And that's Um, because there are data on there that probably people don't want out there. And so they just sort of get rid of it. Yes, that is absolutely because of safety concerns and um, privacy regulation, which is important. But it means that um, a lot of this stuff, especially because, you know, human hands have to open these packages and evaluate these these products and to figure out if there is any personal data on any of these machines before um, before deciding what what stream they're going to go into at the um, at the reverse logistics facility uh, is just it's very difficult and uh, it's not foolproof. So a lot of it just ends up um, either broken down for parts or junked completely. How bad is clothing? Clothing is is terrible on on a lot of (laughs) levels, unfortunately. And I say that as someone who really loves clothes. Um, Clothing, it, it... is dependent on how expensive the clothing is. If you're buying at the high end and you're returning in um, in like new condition, then probably that is going to be resold at some level of retail. It may not be resold at the original retailer. It may be sold to um, you know a, a discounter, a Nordstrom rack, or a um, an online aggregator aggregator of uh, of designer. Uh, 
extras. Um, but if you're buying something really inexpensive and you're taking um, the full return policy to return it, then a lot of times the original retailer not only um, – is it going to be expensive for them to take that back and try to relist it and logistically difficult? Because a lot of times returns don't go go back to the original um, warehouse facility. They go to a sorting, um, a sorting facility that's separate. Um, it's going to be really expensive and really time consuming. And with the rate of turnover that a lot of especially fast fashion retailers experience in their product, that product might not even be available on the website anymore um, once it, they get it, they get your piece back. So a lot of that is going to be uh, you know, there's there's talk of recycling efforts, and I think some of that does happen. But a lot of times it's going to be sold to um, wholesalers, shipped overseas, um, sold overseas in, um, in less developed nations and less wealthy nations, or a lot of times just junked. Wow. And, you know, because of the lack of profit to try to recirculate that $15 top or something like that, you've talked about how some retailers like Amazon or Target, for example, have been like, we'll refund it and you can keep it. And it may seem like a nice gesture, but really they're they're basically avoiding the cost of them having to deal with it or dispose of it. <laughs> Right, exactly. The unit economics of returns are just really, really bad, especially at the lower end of the price spectrum. Um, I've seen estimates that the, returning a product and getting it back into a company's um, inventory in some capacity, even if it's not resold, is going to cost 15 to $20 even before you account for the price of shipping that item back, which, of course, costs money. Um, and that's because uh, reverse logistics, uh, the people that I've interviewed about it over the years, uh, I, I've heard the word nasty used again and again by experts in this field. Uh, you have to go in with human hands and open these packages and evaluate what's inside them and decide if it corresponds to what's on the packing slip and if it's usable and if it's dirty and if it's, you know, what should be done with it. And that that amount of like hands-on labor is very, very expensive um, and it's inefficient and there's no good way to do it because you have to put eyes on, on all of these things. So it's often, especially at this lower end at these discount retailer prices, it's just better if you uh, task the customer with getting rid of it and then they feel like also that they've done something nice for you and it's a good way to build customer rapport when actually they what they are doing is um, having you dispose of that item for free rather than them paying to take it back and do it. I think I saw a stat that the industry folks believe that a quarter of returns are basically discarded or incinerated. Does that sound right to you, Amanda? I think that's probably basically right. If you if you average out all the different types of product categories together, I think that probably somewhere in there is like where you're going to get in most cases. Um, it can vary widely uh, from product category to product category. Um, clothes are really high. Um, other types of things are, are, are much lower. Um, things that don't require... Um, you know, personal taste or like fit on your body, things like that are much lower. Um, so I think overall 25 is probably a good percentage to, to assume. Um, and then everything else is sort of, there's this entire constellation of sort of unseen businesses that exist to try to figure out how to extract the maximum value from this other stuff that's unwanted, but potentially still has some sort of value available for somebody. Yeah. Well, listeners, tell us, are you surprised to learn this about your returns? What questions do you have about it? Again, if you have 
changed your return habits. Maybe you do it more often. Why do you think you do? Do you even buy with the expectation of returning uh, with regard to clothing, for example? Maybe getting shoes a half size bigger or smaller just in case. Scott writes, this makes me sad. We're dealing with an ecological disaster of unknown proportions. Sure, we can fix the grid, downsize, move away from petroleum, live local and compost. But if we still live with a throwaway mentality, honestly, shouldn't we just accept the inevitable? And speaking of, you know, ecological consequences or environmental consequences, you wrote a whole piece about just the delivery uh, logistics and all the carbon, and we haven't even got touched on that as well, which is a huge part of online shopping and returning. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the most interesting things to me and most troubling things to me about online shopping is that it, that it's not very efficient. Um, I think that tech companies sort of pride themselves in um, in saying, in demonstrating to the public that what they're doing is, you know, increasing scale, increasing efficiency pr- to ultimately provide a better service to the consumer than what was available in um, lower tech, more analog in real life um, options. And I think that sometimes that's true. But in online shopping, I think it largely isn't. It is very, very inefficient to, um, to have an entire workforce that's dedicated to varying individual pieces of people's purchases from, facil- from uh, warehouse facilities to their doors. It is much more efficient to ferry a bunch of that stuff to something centralized, like a mall or a grocery store or a shopping center, that then people individually, when they need something, can then go to and do shopping and pick up a bunch of stuff at once. Well, my producer Caroline shared some stats with me that return inventory created 9.5 billion pounds of landfill waste last year, that the shipping of return inventory in the U.S. to retailers, resellers, or repairs emitted over 24 million metric tons of carbon dioxide in 2022. When you say nasty in terms of the reverse supply chain, which also was not something I had really understood (laughs) until I prepared for this show. I can see what you mean. More with Amanda Mole after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, Tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about what happens to all the stuff we return, the so-called reverse supply chain, with Amanda Mull, staff writer for The Atlantic, who writes the column Material World on American consumerism. Lots of great articles on this particular topic, including the nasty logistics of returning your two small pants and the free returns party is over. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation 
Are you surprised to learn this about all those things you return? If you have questions about what happens to your returns, you can share them by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting on our social channels at KQED Forum, or by calling 866-733-6786. Do you buy with the expectation of returning? What are your online shopping habits? What role does online return, the policy of it, the ease of it play in your shopping habits? Let me go to caller Deborah in El Cerrito. Hi, Deborah. Join us. You're on. Hi. Good morning. I've known about this for a while, so I try really hard to buy in person, but it's become virtually impossible in a lot of areas. The stores, you know, the small businesses are closed, even the big chains you know, don't have the selections there, um, and they're not, and some of those stores have closed. So what is a conscientious person to do? Oh, Deborah, thanks for the question. And Amanda, you had shared also how brick and mortar stores, their returns there are, are at like rates in the single digits, um, in part because people generally don't want the awkwardness sometimes of having to return something. Um, but yeah, what do you think of Deborah's point that you know, her attempt to be able to shop at bricks and mortar is harder and harder with stores closed down. Is that a fairly common experience? Yeah, I think that's absolutely common. It's something that I've personally experienced in just trying to sort of like reform my own habits uh, to align with my reporting. Um, it, It gets very, very difficult because what a lot of companies have done is try to um, sort of realign their business to push people into online shopping because it is it is expensive to operate stores. It is expensive to staff stores. It is, um, it, you know, there is a high capital investment there. And a lot of companies, especially publicly traded companies, um, don't like to show all that much capital investment on their quarterly returns. Um, it becomes a problem for investors who want to see greater and greater growth. Um, and, and investing in these things and these like good shopping experiences is just not it's just not attractive on those on those types of returns. So you see them pushing a lot of people into buying online and maybe you pick up at the store, maybe you um you know don't have that option and have it sent to your house because the retailer has closed all of the stores that are within easy driving distance of you. Maybe you don't have a car or good transportation, so you have to get it delivered to your house. I think that um accessing alternatives has become really really difficult, especially in the past 5 to 10 years. Um and so even if you have the best of intentions. Maybe the size that you need isn't available in store anymore. Maybe, um, you know, the yeah. entire section of the the product lineup that you're interested in from a particular company is only sold online. So there are things you can do, like if you have a, a store for a particular brand or company near you that might not necessarily... Um, carry what you want. You can order things to be delivered to the store and go pick them up and maybe try them on, see them, um, you know, get an idea if it's something you want to keep and then um, return it immediately before you leave so that it gets back into the the stream of, of inventory rather quickly and can probably then be resold at that store instead of getting sent back to a sorting facility. That's not the case at every store, but it, it is the case for, for more of them. So there are like little marginal things you can do personally, but companies have made it very, very difficult um, to, to do things the old-fashioned way in a lot of instances. Well, Deborah, thanks for the question. Bob suggests, Bob writes, I have increased my shopping at secondhand stores. There are so many new items and used items on the shelves that it blows one's mind. It provides jobs, reduces landfill, and makes me smile a lot. 
Barbara writes, only since the pandemic have I been a person who buys clothing on Amazon. Today I'm returning a nice quality linen cotton apron that doesn't suit me. I thought about giving it to someone as a gift, but it is so easy to return it by dropping it off at a UPS store where I don't need a label or bag. My nieces seem to do this kind of return all the time, but I hate to. I vow to be more careful of what I purchase online. I never buy with the expectation of returning, but I've seen my niece order five swimsuits with the intention of returning I mean, how did we get here when people think about just sort of the massive boom in online shopping and returning? What do we point to as sort of major drivers? Well, if you look back to the early 2000s, you see a lot of this taking shape. Um, what you had was a lot of investment in um, in startups, in web 1.0 companies, who were starting to figure out how we can use the internet um, in order to move physical goods and not just for the movement of information. Um, so you got companies like Amazon um, and Zappos uh, who were trying to figure out, like, okay, if you are a web user in the early 2000s with your dial-up connection at home, and you need to buy a book or a pair of shoes or something like that, like what what are the things that would help encourage you to do that? Especially when Amazon started in the late 90s, you got a lot of people who were just very concerned about having to pay for anything online because it seemed like a great way to get your credit card stolen. Mm -hmm. So there was all these services and policies that were developed during the late 90s and early 2000s that really set the tone for figuring out how to make people feel confident spending money in any capacity online. Amazon was hugely influential in that. When you get into the um, the clothes and shoes of it all, which is a lot of what we're talking about here, um, you you really have to look to Zappos um, because they were the first um, major online company to model their returns policies after some of the more generous policies that have existed for a long time in physical retail. Um, Nordstrom, in particular, stands out as um, a company you know that everybody knows you can return basically anything forever um, and they'll take it back, um, and that they've built up a loyal customer based through that. So Zappos looked at policies like that and went, well, if people are scared to buy shoes online because they won't fit and because they aren't sure if they can return them and it'll cost them money to get them sent both ways, only to realize that, you know, this is not the appropriate pair of shoes for me. And then they're out like $15 just for trying. That's not a good customer experience online. So what we have to do is make it frictionless. And in order to do that, you have to make shipping free, you have to make return shipping free, and you have to let people have some time to try things on and you have to let them send things back that they've worn, um, which means that they can't be resold. So uh, Zappos really brought the sort of generous return policies of, of in-person retail online and um, and they became profitable doing that. They became um, very large. They added scale quickly. And then a lot of other companies um, sort of copycatted them um, because it was fine to, you know, in the era of, of low interest rates and, and um, abundant venture capital, it's okay to lose money if you were doing it in order to buy market share. So these companies, Zappos, Amazon, um, and then uh, their brick and mortar counterparts that were trying to catch up, Walmart notably, Target, uh, all adopted this set of policies over the course of about 10 years in order to um, quickly scale up their online business because it has a lot of advantages for them that it doesn't have for consumers, meaning that they can sell a lot of product with a lot less labor involved and a lot less expensive retail leasing involved. Um, so you got this set of policies that became the norm that um, shipping is free, returns are free, 
We'll take things back. No questions asked. And then when you set the expectation for that uh, for an entire sector of of commerce, the behaviors that that engenders just become normal. It, if you were trying to buy a swimsuit online and and don't have a good way to do that in person or feel uncomfortable going to do that in person, then of course you're going to buy five because that's how many you have to try on at a store and how many you've always had to try on at a store in order to have decent odds of finding one that you actually like. Um, yeah. th- these are goods that lend themselves much more to buying in person, and but we have set up a, an incentive structure that means that people do it at home. So, so we not only made easy returns the norm, but we've also made it a consumer expectation now, right? And, and that's why companies are afraid of pulling back on them? Right. For a long time, the, the idea was, and this has changed a little bit, but for a long time, the idea was that if you start to try to sort of discipline this behavior through policy changes – then people will just go elsewhere. They'll go to back to brick and mortar. They'll go to other online companies that that provide more um, more liberal policies. Um, so a lot of people were very scared to do it for a while. Um, but you know, during and after the um, the sort of pandemic period that we've been in, when online sales shot up so much. Um, a lot of companies have looked at what that means for their returns and what that means for their like overall gross margin and their ability to be profitable, and said all right, we have to do something about this. And once the really big influential companies, the Amazons and Walmarts of the world, um, start moving on on these policies, then everybody else gets a little bit more opportunity to, opportunity to move on them and make returns a little bit more expensive for consumers, a little bit more restrictive. Yeah, and we can get into that in a moment. But let me go to caller Jonathan in Alameda. Jonathan, thanks for waiting. You're on. Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm the executive director of the REAP Climate Center in Alameda, California, and we are a nonprofit that actually gets the benefit of the secondary philanthropic return market. And what I mean by that is there's other nonprofits out there whose mandate and mission is to recapture some of these goods that are maybe only slightly damaged or just open box and get them out to other nonprofits. So part of our climate center is we have a maker space and kids programs, adult programs, educational facilities, and we get tools and building materials and other things through this market. Now, I agree strongly with all of the ecological challenges surrounding returns and online shopping, but maybe this is one small bright spot that we can work to improve upon to redistribute these goods in some sort of organized way, because we couldn't operate some of our programs without these benefits. Um, anyway, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, well, well, thank you for you know showing us one avenue for us to maybe get a little bit more of a handle on this and how it can benefit. Um, I actually want to bring Tobin Moore into the conversation, co-founder and principal of Opturo, a returns technology company. Uh, Toby, thanks so much for being on with us. Hi, Mina. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first, describe what you do with regard to trying to maybe get a handle on on this return process. Yeah, well, um, you know, as you've heard from Amanda, it's it's quite a problem for the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, if you went back several years ago, most retailers weren't really investing in returns technology. Uh, and that's been changing a lot now with uh, just the growth in e-commerce returns, which have grown 3x since uh, before COVID. So since 2019, they've gone from you know, about $70 billion a year of e-commerce returns to over $210 billion a year of uh, e-commerce returns. And when you look at some industries like the fashion world, you now see 30 to 50% of their uh, goods sold online getting returned. And so what we do is we provide a returns technology platform that makes e-commerce more sustainable by really 
uh, making all parts of the returns process more efficient. And you know, we use AI, machine learning, uh, we incorporate robotics and shared networks of physical locations and capabilities, all to make this process more efficient. And you know, when re- retailers look at returns, there's a couple of different areas that that are important. One, um, customer experience is still always top of mind. So in order to keep up with Amazon and others, uh, you want to make the customer experience as easy as possible for returns uh, so that that customer comes back again and again. And you know, stats show that 90% of customers say they won't come back and buy again if they have a bad returns experience. So we we focus on providing um, you know express returns drop-off locations where you don't need packaging or labels. You just drop off a you know, a return shirt with a QR code, um, or we now uh, recently launched a returns pickup solution. So you can have um, someone come to your house to pick up a return uh, for you. And so those are things that we do to make the customer experience easier. But then on the other side, the retailers care a lot about cost management, uh, about inventory management, about recovery maximization, about waste reduction. So we focus on that with our technology as well. And so the back end of these express returns, drop offs and pickups are actually uh, consolidating returns across various retailers. So you have lots of different retailers sharing one network and one box to bring back these returns. It makes the shipping uh, you know, 10 to 20% cheaper for them. It reduces the carbon emissions because they're now all coming back together. You might have 20 items coming back in a box together uh, instead of one item being shipped in you know, an individual packaging. So that helps to reduce the emissions. Um, and then once those goods come back, there's a lot of automation that's in place um, using AI to automate the decision-making of should an item be tested and graded, should it be sent to one channel versus another. Uh, and then there's robotics that are incorporated into it to actually move the items around more efficiently. Um, and then, you know, really the idea is get as many of these goods back to stock as new as you can uh, within that window of wallets still popular and in stock. Um, you know, if you can get a good back to stock immediately, it's it doesn't lose value and you can resell it as new and you can also own less inventory versus most people are taking over 30 days to process their returns and figure out another channel to sell it on which means if it's in fashion you know i know you earlier mentioned fast fashion you've totally missed the season so these goods now are at 50 percent markdowns and may you know be whole you know wholesale sold somewhere or actually end up in landfill so we really focus on moving these goods as fast as possible, connecting them to the right channels. And if they can't go back to stock, we also connect them to all the various secondary market channels. So there's a lot of different secondary market options available, ranging from retailers having their own branded stores uh, on their sites, such as uh, Patagonia you know, focuses on, you know, on this. I think it's called Warmware uh, is their site. Um, and, you know, and a lot of other retailers are leaning into having their own resale uh, um, sites for returns and used goods uh, and then things even go to um, you know flea markets dollar stores secondary market stores uh, and then downstream to uh, recycling as well and you see people yeah. like adidas you know now making products they have a whole line called made to be remade where goods are made so it's easy to bring them back take them apart and you know make them into new goods uh, again with those materials I think you're answering Tater's question on Discord about whether machine learning could help with efficiency in the sense that you are trying to do that. I'll also read the rest of 
Taters point, so much of this waste is due to a system of perverse incentives. Manufacturers make more by selling new products. Resellers are paid to take the leftovers and generally will make more money by throwing it away because they don't have to pay anyone to manage reselling logistics. Can, can I just ask you a personal question, Toby, which is, um, like, did you learn about the reverse supply chain, say, like through college and business school? <laughs> or is this something that you learned just through experience of being, you know, in the business world? Um, I learned about it through experience. And actually, uh, uh, you know, as a kid, I was always doing garage sales and had you know, different businesses around the neighborhood trying to find things that people didn't want that I knew, you know, other people found valuable. And then, uh, you know, I, I grew up as, uh, you know, as e-commerce kind of was invented. Yeah. And my dad was addicted to eBay. And he was buying things before there was pictures on eBay. And, you know, before you knew it, um, you know, he had a house full of just knickknacks. And I had uh, some grandparents that passed away. And uh, my dad inherited the hoarder gene. And uh, in order to, to help save my parents' uh, marriage in college, um, I helped him to sell a lot of the stuff online and discovered that many of these goods, though unwanted by many people, had a lot of people online who, who really wanted them. And so that's how I... I first yeah. started discovering it and uh, then found myself deeper and deeper and deeper learning about returns and reverse logistics and the whole the whole dark, uh, dark world of retail. <laughs> the dark world of retail. Well, well, Toby, I really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Toby's co-founder and principal of Uptoro, a returns technology company. And, and Amanda, I guess one of those third-party companies you were talking about that has sprung up to try to, you know, make sense of what is a very web-like process <laughs> with regard to our returns. But also because, as I said, like, I feel like people I talked to who went to business school, they learned about the supply chain, not the reverse supply chain. Right. This is absolutely the case with a lot of the reporting I've done. People say, you know, you don't learn about this in business school. You learn about it by uh, encountering the problem. Well, we will have more about the problem and also how we address it, some of the solutions, and also maybe even some of the changes that retailers are putting in right after the break. Again, talking about all the stuff that we return, the impact of them with Amanda Mall of The Atlantic. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. 
We're talking about returns and the so-called reverse supply chain and the, quote, nasty logistics and environmental consequences of the stuff we return that we may not have realized. Amanda Mall is a staff writer at The Atlantic who writes the column Material World on American Consumerism. And you, our listeners, are joining and have joined the conversation with your insights and questions about what happens to your returns. Also sharing your habits in terms of online shopping and returning, especially with such easy and convenient return policies that have become the norm in our society. The email address forum at kqed.org. Our social channels can be found at KQED Forum on Facebook, Discord, Instagram, and our phone number is 866-733-6786. Lois writes, I'm careful about purchasing online if I have to pay for the return. It seems unfair to have to pay extra just to try on a purchase. Um... Amanda, even though Lois says that she's careful about purchasing if she has to pay for the return, and that is one concern of retailers that you will be, you know, more careful, less likely to buy as much as you buy if they do rein in some of the return policies. You had mentioned that we are starting to see this and that you yourself experienced it when you tried to return a pair of pants. Talk about some of the changes we're starting to see. Yes, I think that especially in the past year, um, retailers have looked around and gone, "Okay, this is out of control. We have um, created a set of behaviors that are no longer um, exclusively benefiting us. (laughs) Um, And uh, especially because of like the interest rate market that we have and the um, the amount of like liquid liquid low cost capital is just like not as uh, as abundant as it used to be. So people are looking around at these companies and going, okay, we have to, something has to give. We can't continue taking this huge inflated percentage of returns that um, that, pe- that we've been taking since the beginning of the pandemic because although a lot of um, a lot of behaviors have normalized um, since 2020 and after vaccination, the the percentage of online returns that that happened, which, blew up during the pandemic has not gone back down. So what retailers are trying to do is to um, use these policies that they set to create this behavior to um, modify it again. Um, Some of that is charging for returns. It is not uncommon to find places that will now charge you, you know, $7. Usually that's a Five to seven dollars is the is the normal fee that I've been seeing. Um, a lot of places that were were totally free in the past are now seven dollars, or they're seven dollars after if the item is received after twenty eight days from purchase, whereas it might have been previously if the item is is sent back, um, you know, scanned into um, UPS or whatever, twenty eight days from purchase, then it would be free and. Like you said, this is something that I encountered. I sent back a pair of pants to Madewell, something that I've done a bunch of times before. I'm plus size. They don't carry my sizes in store. Um, but I shop from them a lot. And I, you know, I tried on the pants. They didn't fit like I wanted them to. I packaged them up. And within a week, I had dropped them off at UPS like they had asked me to. Um, reverse logistic shipping works differently, though. The, the companies pay for different types of services, getting something back to them rather than getting it out to the customer. So my pants sat at... UPS in various facilities or vehicles for three weeks, even though I had returned them within a week. Um, And, you know, I um, got a store credit instead of a cash refund, even though on my end, I did exactly what Madewell would have wanted me to do in order to um, get the pants back to them in time for them to resell them. So there is, and, you know, I had not, I felt like I had not been, uh, informed of that change. Uh, It was on the website, but, you know, how often do people go and read the fine print? And this is just like what's happening all over the place. And people are encountering these changes and going, oh, well, maybe I should not 
buy so much from this store or that store or in general. Maybe I should go do it in person if I can. Um, And I think that these little, um, you know, nickels and dimes do add up. It definitely does disincentivize a purchase that um, that maybe you uh, think is like a, a has a low low chance of sticking but you are curious about it so maybe you leave those things off of your order and that is probably good overall for the industry for the environment for our pocketbooks but people are still getting used to it and encountering these changes usually in real time because like i said this is not something that companies send out in an email blast to let you know <laughs> up front you find it out when you find it out yeah well lynn writes I would love to buy my shoes in person, but no one near me stocks shoes in my women's wide 10, so I need to order online. So so many just don't fit. I return tons. Buying shoes online is stupid, but what choice do I have? Another listener writes, I'd be happy to be able to buy more in person, but as a very petite person, most brands don't carry my size. If they stock them at all, it's often only online. So I'm left with no other option than to purchase online. In addition, online sizing tools are often not that good. So while I hate to return things, I often need to return or order multiple sizes to find anything that fits. So there's also uh, this other thread that you touched on, you know, besides the fact that, you know, we should make it a little harder, companies are feeling like because um, it's costly to us. But it also sounds like the timing kind of works for them, because a we've gotten pretty addicted to online shopping. And as a result, they've been offering much more online than they do in stores. And B, because so many bricks and mortar places have been killed off that we're kind of forced to do our shopping online too. Right, right. I think retailers have largely molded the um, retail environment and the consumption environment into something that mostly benefits them because I, th- I think that now that they want to make these changes, they largely can without um, without putting themselves in too much risk of, of driving customers to um, a, a competitor or anything else. I mean, the retail landscape has consolidated a lot in the past 20 years. Um, There's a lot fewer competitors available and especially indie competitors available for you to take your business elsewhere if you don't like somebody's policy. And then um, as as the the listeners uh, mentioned, there are huge swaths of product that are just not available in brick and mortar stores because a lot of companies um, have expanded their, their size ranges, have expanded their product lineups in ways that are good largely, but they haven't changed um, what is sold in stores. They haven't done the sort of like back end analytical work on the data they have in order to figure out what might be better for them to sell in stores from uh, versus what they've always sold, the size ranges and and um, and other types of selections that they've always sold. Uh, in- instead, they've put this stuff online. So they, they don't really know how it would be. Would, uh, perform for them in stores in changing what is sold on a sales floor in a physical location um, for a company that has a bunch of stores is just really, really expensive. So they leave that stuff online and it gives a lot of people um, in a lot of different situations, especially when it comes to clothing and apparel, uh, no real option but to try to play within the bounds of these policies. Well, Holly writes, in addition to the purchase and returned item, please address all the packaging waste. So much plastic. Plastic air pillows are terrible and are not recyclable, despite the chasing arrow label. Some vendors still use styrofoam, which you can't do anything with, and reusable plastic bags only 
get one more use out of the bag. Please, this is unnecessary. How about nearly infinitely reusable packaging and containers, including boxes? Holly, I should also direct you to our show that we just did on plastics. I hear you there. Steve says, sometimes the problem is with the product description. I bought a coffee maker on Amazon, and then when I read the instructions, I realized it wasn't going to work for me. The return problem could be solved in part with better, more accurate product write-ups. Steve has a point there, right, Amanda? (laughs) Yes, this is absolutely a huge problem, especially at these very, very large retailers, the Amazons, Targets, Walmarts of the world. Part of that problem is the the selection is just so huge that there's no... There's no real way to have a human look at all of it in person and think about it and measure it and actually uh, input that information into the website. That is an incredibly labor-intensive process. So you get a lot of just bad product listings with inaccurate information. And then also those websites, those huge retailers are also marketplaces, which means that a lot of their product and for Amazon, the majority of their product is being listed by third parties. And they don't necessarily ever, you know, the 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 company that you think you're buying from doesn't necessarily ever see the product. So they can't verify that that those product listings are accurate. They cannot, um, you know, they didn't make them themselves. So what all they can do is just process the returns. Um, and it's a bad customer experience um, on the customer service end. It's bad for, uh, you know, sustainability purposes. It's bad for uh, profit margins. It's bad for everybody. But this, this uh, desire for scale has created this situation in which uh, we're in a we're in a, a bad low quality information environment that is not getting a lot better, um, and uh, Amazon recently started putting as a little flag on listings that have like an abnormally large return rate relative to things in their categories, which is one way that it can, that retailers can incentivize the people who actually list their products yeah. and actually sell them to make those product listings better and more accurate. But you are sort of dealing with uh, you know incentives after the fact and punishments after the fact instead of just making this a more human system of uh, of of consumption. Is there any entity that can help or force retailers to clean up some of their own bad behavior? You know, besides Amazon noting who's what are very highly returned products. I mean, government regulation. Yeah, I think some of this has to be regulatory. A lot of the problem that we've gotten into with fast fashion in particular, both online and in person, although most of it is online, is a a deregulation that happened um, in the late 90s and early 2000s that made it possible to import enormous, enormous amounts of uh, textile products made overseas into the U.S. For a long time, that had been a protected industry in the U.S., which meant that we had significant unionized garment manufacturing here, which meant that things were a little bit more expensive and people owned fewer clothes, but the clothes were better quality and um, and not as pollutive as the, the stuff that we buy now. That regulation changed. Um, it, it got deregulated, essentially. So now that there's this infinite amount of stuff that can come in from other countries, we have the environment that we have. So that's an example, a real concrete example of how reg- regulation or lack thereof can create these issues. And I think regulation is also probably the only way to start to reverse some of them. Because unless companies are feel some sort of consequence um, externally for the waste that they create and the bad behaviors that they that they force people into in a lot of situations or just incentivize in others, um, there's n- there's no real reason for them to try to stop. 
Well, um, let me remind listeners that we are talking about what happens to all our returns, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Noelle on Discord writes, Instead of sending back shoes that didn't fit me, I sold them on eBay. Also, used and new bras can be brought to Aerie stores where they donate or recycle them. Why don't more entities donate? Uh, is that also something that's very logistics heavy? Yes, it would, for, uh, for a company like Amazon or Target or Walmart or like a huge retailer to donate, it just gets very difficult because you have to go through the same process of um, receiving those returns, evaluating them, making sure that they're clean, making sure that they're intact, making sure that they are usable. And a lot of this stuff is usable, but it requires a significant um, investment of of labor dollars and capital um, and facilities in order to um, do all of that sorting. And um, a lot of times the what the the PR boost or the tax write off that companies get from doing that is not enough to incentivize them to do it. And you know all the good PR in the world and all the tax write offs in the world are nice, but if companies if it doesn't make sense um, on the the uh, dollars and cents end, then then they won't do it um, beyond what uh, PR boost it'll give them. Hmm. Well, Rosemary writes, I understand the horrible numbers resulting from online shopping and returns. However, as a person with limited mobility, shopping online is a godsend. Please remember those of us who can't stand for long periods of time or have difficulty walking or moving in general. Another listener writes, I'm a 37-year-old female and rarely purchase online. I return things only once every few years, maybe. It makes me a happier person to go out to local businesses and check Facebook Marketplace for items I need or want. I'm really saddened to hear about all the returns, but knew it was the case. So, yeah, curious if we don't want to contribute to the problem or, you know, if we want to be able to make online shopping, you know, and returns easier for the people who really need to do it and use it. Like what what tips, if any, do you have for us, Amanda? Well, I think it's important to remember that the the bulk of this waste comes from a minority of people, and that is people with lots of income, lots of disposable income who can use it to shop as sort of sport, as entertainment. Um, you know, I don't think that we need to um, that we need to look down on people who are buying things online for, out of need or out of like basic want either. Um, but there are people who um, who usually people with a lot of money who use this as sort of a diversion and who don't think a great deal about what those uh, personal actions are creating or what they're contributing to. And like, I don't think that sort the individual behavior change goes as far as we need in order to solve this problem. But I do think that in order to, um, you know, force people's hands, force politicians' hands on regulation and, and, and on smart um smart policies that will help rein this in. I do think that we need to, uh, that the populace generally showing that they are ready for a change is necessary to that. Uh, that's how, you know, politics works. That's how power works. So if you're a person with a ton of a ton of extra income that uh, tends to, you know, uh, do some of these behaviors in excess, I think being honest with yourself and trying to uh, maybe question why it is that you're spending your money this way, spending your time this way. If there's like a better way that you could um, entertain yourself, a different hobby you might be able to have. Uh, I think that that uh, if you're being self-aware about being one of the people that is in this group, which is not most people, I don't think, uh, is, is probably a pretty good start. Well, Tom writes, I spent 10 years in high-tech returns. People should not be surprised by the amount of returns that are not reused and how wasteful it is for Amazon's free shipping. Fashion, as an industry, is the absolute worst. I beg people to understand where the where the products you purchase come from. 
buy responsibly and return products as a last resort. Even as we talk about all of this, though, I think the broader point you've made, Amanda, is that there really is no easy fix because of the complications of this whole system, the cultural aspects of this whole system. Like, where do you think this is headed? You know, I'm I'm not really sure where it's headed, uh, but I think that I, I think people, you know, the the urge the people we have that to say that people shouldn't be surprised. I think that's wrong. I think that the retail industry has gone to great, great lengths for um, the last 20 years to hide all of this, to hide reverse logistics, to hide the cost of free shipping, to hide the cost of free returns. All of this is happens in a shadow economy that the average person has no, no reason to encounter. So I think that... Um, you know, the, what we can do now is inform people that this is happening because there's still a lot of people who have no reason to know and have no reason to encounter this. If you if you slow down and think about it, I think it becomes clear that there must be some some cost happening. But I don't think it's at all obvious, um, especially if you've sort of grown up in, in the Internet shopping era. Um, and I don't think I think that we're seeing sort of a plateau in interest in shopping online. I don't think that there are any projections that online shopping becomes like the the dominant way that Americans spend money. Um, in-person purchases are still about 75% of retail purchases in America. And I don't see a whole lot of projections that think that that will go like much higher um, in the next 10 or 20 years. So I think that people are sort of finding the limits of the utility of this system. Um, but without I think without regulatory oversight, uh, it becomes hard on an individual level beyond some sort of marginal improvements to to certain behaviors, uh, especially for, you know, the richest among us. Uh, otherwise, it, it's just hard to know how that changes without some sort of um, overarching force. Yeah. And when you talk about the fact that we don't know, it reminds me of how you reported how difficult it was to even talk with retailers about it for your reporting. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely radioactive. No, no retailer on earth wants to talk about this in any detail. Because well, it, it, you know, they don't want to admit that they're part of the problem. Well, Amanda Moll writes for the Material World American Consumerism column. It's called Material World and one of her latest pieces on this is called The Free Returns Party is Over. Generous return policies lured Americans to online shopping. Now who pays? Amanda, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. My thanks to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment. My thanks to our listeners for sharing their experiences and great questions. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. No such number. No such song. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call 
very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.